Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools. We're here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. And uh, it's in trouble with the Morrison government. I think a lot of public school people are just saying very quietly, this man has got to go. But of course, it's not just Morrison, it's the lobby groups behind him for the private school sector, which have got the public school people fed up to the eyeballs and over. We have a website at www.adogs.info, which we noticed in recent weeks has become quite popular. Uh, it must have something to do with the uh, election that appears to be around the corner, although we don't know the date yet. But it's fairly obvious that the government in their budget didn't mention much about education. I wonder why. Because the news is not good for the public school voters who represent two thirds of the uh, Australian population. So we need to have a state aid option, but state aid for public schools option. And this election, it'll be the public school vote we believe that matters. And that's our press release 931, and I'm going to turn you over to Kim, who's going to read it for us. Thank you, Kim. Thanks, Jean. Uh, so I'll dive straight into it. The poll suggests that Mr Morrison and his ramshackle, faction-ridden government are in trouble. And not even the private school lobby groups are of much use to him. If anything, their right-wing graduates are biting his posterior rather viciously in the stacked New South Wales Liberal Party branches. The opposition appear to think that throwing money at aged care, which certainly needs it, may bring in votes as they keep a low profile, but it is a very disillusioned and angry public school vote that is waiting in the wings. What have the major parties got to offer? The Morrison government's budget. Over half a billion dollars have been cut from public schools over the next three years. The Morrison government's 2022 to 2023 federal budget has cut funding for public schools by $559 million over the next three years, while increasing funding for private schools by 2.6 billion over the forward estimates. The cuts to public schools funding will total $139 million in 2022 to 23, and $193.9 million in the 2023 to 2024 year, and $226.9 million in 2024 to 2025. Additionally, there is no funding allocated for capital works in public schools in this year's federal budget either. Meanwhile, the government has announced increases to private schools funding totaling $616.8 million in 2022 to 2023, $690 million in 2023 to 24, and $715.6 million in 2024 to 25 and 537.1 million in 2025 to 2026. This is a devastating reduction in funding for public schools at a time when schools are dealing with the deep impact of the COVID pandemic and escalating inequality for students across the nation, says Karina Haythorpe, Australian Education Union Federal President. This savage cut to public schools was hidden in the detail. PM Morrison hoped principals, teachers, support staff and parents wouldn't notice. They will. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg boasts about delivering record funding for schools, but does not make the distinction that they are delivering record funding for private schools at the expense of public schools every year. 
It is public schools that are witnessing booming enrollment growth and have the greatest need for capital spending on new buildings and state-of-the-art facilities. It is public schools that need additional funding for more teachers, support staff, smaller class sizes and learning programs for students. We urgently need the next federal government to address the deep inequality in Australia education systems. The Labor Party's offer. Every Australian school will be put on a path to their full and fair level of funding under a federal Labor government, Anthony Albanese has announced in his reply to the release of the 2022 federal budget, declaring that education is the biggest and most powerful weapon we have against disadvantage. Albanese pledged a $440 million school upgrade fund that from 2023 will give public schools the same level of funding for new buildings and world-class facilities that independent schools receive. Federal Labor will also spend $14 million to employ 60 full-time First Nations language teachers in Australia's schools if elected in May. Shadow Minister for Education Tanya Plibersek says the learning of First Nations languages by Indigenous students has the benefit of improving Indigenous children's self-esteem and boosting their attendance at school. For non-Indigenous students, learning First Nations language gives them a deeper understanding and appreciation of the cultures and histories of Australia's first people, Plibersex said in a statement. The program, which will seek direct input from the First Nations communities, has strong support from the Know Your Country campaign, led by a panel of First Nations people and coordinated by World Vision Australia. Another big focus of Labor Schools plan is tackling the youth mental health crisis, which has been exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Albanese said Labor students well-being, Labor's student wellbeing program will enable schools to access more school counselors and psychologists, as well as receive extra funding for camps, excursions, sporting and social activities that improve kids' well-being. The average school will be $20,000 better off this year, Albanese said. And now for the dog's comment. Neither party have tackled the burning equities issues in Australian education and confronted the greedy private sector. However, the Labor Party promises are marginally better than the dismal record of the Morrison government. It remains for voters to discover what the other minor parties and independents are offering. Watch this space. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you very much, uh, Kim. Uh, Mr Morrison is certainly not a friend of public education, even though I think he went to Sydney Boys High himself. You'd expect a little bit more of him. But um, watching what's going on in the, uh, in the Liberal Party in New South Wales, I find rather entertaining, since it seems to be the um, really quite right-wing um, private school graduates uh, in the Liberal Party, the Abbott group, uh, that... Um, have been stacking Liberal Party branches that are giving him quite a lot of problems. So perhaps he should have um, looked after the state school interest um, a little bit better than he has. But uh, we'll leave it for the moment and we'll come back and we'll do some more talking about um, New South Wales because New South Wales um, is a little bit further ahead than Victoria in doing the facts and figures on what's really going on. And they have a Liberal Party government up there, of course, with Mr Perrottet, or I'm not sure how you pronounce that name. I'm not sure whether it's French or whether it's whatever it is. But um, as I read it, it's Mr Perrottet. But um, we'll have a bit of a break now and back with some more facts and figures after the break. 
it's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to discriminate out where's our voice in this country. You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got. But it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program and we're giving you lots of facts and figures about what's going on in education funding at the moment, particularly after the uh, Morrison budget. Uh, as far as public schools are concerned, it was a very big fissure. But up in New South Wales, there's a very active uh, teachers group called the New South Wales Teachers Federation. Now, they are a branch of the Australian Education Union, but they have employed an economist, Adam Rorris, to look at the facts and figures, and uh, what he found was not very good. We're going to Maddie now, who will tell you about 130 private schools in New South Wales that are overfunded by $120 million. Over to you, Maddie. Thank you so much, Jean. Yeah, almost 40 New South Wales private schools have been overpaid by more than $1 million a year each, and four were given more than twice as much government money as they were due. The most overfunded schools were Loretto Kirribilli, St Aloysius College and St Augustine's College, which all received an extra $4.5 million in 2020, more than twice as much as the Schooling Resource Standard, or SRS, determined they needed. If you live in Sydney, these schools are very much for the super Catholic wealthy. Mm, but, mm. Um, yeah. yeah. An analysis... So- public funding to independent schools in 2020, the most recent figures also found another 43 schools, including some charging fees of more than $35,000 a year, were given between $250,000 and 1 million extra per year. The analysis by education economist Adam Rorris, commissioned by the Teachers Federation, analysed public funding to 343 independent schools in 2020 and found 130 were overfunded by a total of $120 million. The report said, this is while the entire public school system sits more than 10% below its minimum SRS funding levels since the adoption of the Gonski needs-based funding model in 2013. Chief Executive of the Association of Independent Schools, New South Wales, Jeff Newcomb, said a new model that measures how much private school parents could afford to contribute was introduced this year. It's a needs-based model, which all school sectors have accepted, he said. Several schools are losing funding through no fault of their own and are making adjustments. While the government has set up a transition schedule, around 30% of independent schools are losing significant funding over the next eight years. It's time the Teachers Federation got over it. The problem is, of course, they're not losing it. They're making sure that they get a bit more. Uh, It's it's a very strange model indeed, uh, with uh, 
no school really losing a dollar mm. because with the transition, they get a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. The SRF so it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a backdoor deal. It's a backyard deal with the yeah. Morrison government. Yeah. Um, the SRS calculated as part of the Gonski reforms uh, is the minimum cost of educating a student. The sum grows if the student is disadvantaged and falls if the student attends a non-government school, depending on how much their parents can contribute. Independent schools paid less than 100% of their SRS entitlement um, are to have their funding brought up to the standard by 2023, but overfunded schools will not lose their extra money until 2029. There is no plan to bring public schools to 100% of the SRS. Private schools are preparing for the shift. In St. Augustine's 2020 annual financial statement, it warned government funding would progressively decrease. Mount St. Benedict College is reducing its dependence. In 2020, 41% of the college's revenue was derived from government funding, down from 44% the year before. They just charge more fees, but they're still giving mm -hmm. quite a lot of money. Yeah. The Commonwealth provides most funding to private schools and state governments are responsible for most funding to public schools. As there is no parental contribution, the cost of public school education is much more expensive. President of the New South Wales Teachers Federation, Angelo Gavrilados, said the coalition had failed to implement the Gonski reforms. With the federal election looming, he called on an incoming Labor government to lift public school funding from 88% to 100% of SRS within its first term. The government has undermined any semblance of a level playing field for our students, he said. Effectively, in New South Wales, one in eight students or 100,000 students is receiving no funding. Labor's education spokeswoman, Tanya Plibersek, said Labor would work with the states to get every public school on a path to its full and fair level of funding. Acting Federal Education Minister Stuart Robert said the government would meet its full share of school funding by 2023. He said, work has commenced on the new National School Reform Agreement due to commence in 2024, and there will be ongoing consideration of future funding commitments as part of the process. Hundreds of billions of dollars have flowed into education since the Gonski reforms. David Cross, the chief executive of the Blueprint Institute, an unaligned think tank, said there was undoubtedly an equity gap between government and non-government schools, which was exacerbated by pre-Gonski funding arrangements. However, given the quantum of funds being poured into schools, the SRS can be a bit of a red herring. There should be greater focus on how the money is spent across all school systems, he said. He also said funding agreements negotiated between state and federal governments, the next is due in late 2023, should require greater transparency on how the money is spent by schools. Loretto Kiribili, St. Aloysius College, St. Augustine's College, Oak Hill College and Mont St. Angelo were also asked for comment. Well, those uh, overfunded schools didn't have 
too many comments to make. In fact, there were none, but there's plenty of comments from the readers, large numbers of comments to this article by Jordan Baker in the May, sorry, March uh, 25th uh, Sydney Morning Herald. Over to you, Dale. You're pretty good at picking out the choice comments. <laughs> Thanks, Jean. Yeah, well, uh, keep it real, said, considering the billions of dollars in public money that's been diverted to the supposed market-based private education system, the public should own the lot. It's just welfare for self-serving LNP sycophants. Then uh, BTD said, free education for all public students, please. Public school students, please. Well, of course there is. Uh, it's time for the funding for private schools was adjusted for the level of each school's capital works expenditure and investment earnings as and assets. The sheer scale of building on facilities no public school could dream of has reached obscene levels. And I attended a school such a school, but 20 to 40 years ago, whilst there was clearly a divide between public, private and public, it was nowhere near a level as it is today, this person says. Uh, they can afford to do it because so many of their ongoing expenses are paid for from the public purse. Crazy days indeed, says the Sandman, and here we are in the 21st century when the government won't give their peers, teachers, a wage rise who were on an even keel with them in the 70s. What happened? Oh, yeah, we have to pay teachers less because we have to fork out money exclusively for private schools. Uh, Lawn says, get the government out of their lives. Stop funding private and independent schools from taxpayer funds. This is where economic rationalists should come on out and declare that such government interference is not efficient. Then uh, Keep It Real says wealthy entitlement, religious indoctrination and nepotism all require public funding these days. Uh, Grant says, oh no, does that mean that private elite schools in Sydney will no longer be able to splash tens of millions of taxpayer dollars outfitting people for large blocks of land to build Olympic pools on with grandstands? or use taxpayer money to redevelop their schools that barely need redeveloping while public school students are packed to overflowing from temporary demountable classrooms with crap or no air conditioning. Uh, the owl and the pussycat says it's surely time to act on education. We know what works and what does not work. Time to fix it starting with getting a decent education minister and getting a separation between education and religion. There is no appropriate role for churches in educating children. Private schools, if they must exist, need to be private. And if you insist on your child getting a second-rate education, then pay for it. Public schools need the best resources and facilities for education. Camille says, as a child of the 80s, we took part in music classes, choir, drama. We had an end-of-year stage show. We had sailing class lessons, dance. This was in public school. And we got a well-rounded education, plus fun and adventure. My children have none of these things. Run-down demountables, mould issues, teachers volunteering to teach the recorder if they know how and can be bothered. No dance, no choir, no drama, neoliberalism, 
is a cancer. And then Yorick says, but that's because there's no time left in the curriculum. I used to stage an hour-long Shakespeare every year. Now it takes two years to finish a short film. All the hours I, I used to have for this sort of thing have been preempted by general workload. Uh, Jane says the LNP mantra is public is bad, private is good. Um, this is an old chestnut. Uh, Doug's asked any news on how this could happen. Uh, who made the decision to, not to follow the plan? Were these submissions from the department seeking ministerial approval or did the department follow directions from the minister's office? Are there coloured spreadsheets? Uh then, yeah, uh, Scott says we should not be funding these schools at all while there are so many shortages in public schools. Private schools should exist, but they are private and should be paid for by the parent or sponsoring religious organisations. And before you say they help relieve pressure on public schools, that is unconvincing to me. If we just took all the money given to private schools and gave it to public schools instead, that would also relieve the pressure. And it goes on. Back to you, Jean. How interesting. Um, you notice that all, many of those schools were, in fact, um, in the Roman Catholic sector, so the people who would have made the decision to give them money rather than to the disadvantaged schools in that sector or the children in that sector um, would have been uh, the uh, the system itself, the uh, the bishop and so on. I think it's Fisher, Archbishop Fisher, isn't it? And Turnbull referred to that uh, in his book, and he was horrified that um, Fisher was more concerned about the uh, wealthy children and middle class children in the eastern suburbs of Sydney than he was about the disadvantaged children in, in Catholic schools elsewhere in the state. So we'll have a bit of a break and uh, we'll come back with Kim, who's got a very interesting article, uh, which uh, is uh, about people up there in New South Wales, what they're going to do about this overfunding politically. Up there in New South Wales, they're going to have choices this election. It's going to be interesting to see if we have choices here in Victoria, isn't it? But um, a bit of a break now. I think Welcome to Country is a very dangerous concept and initiative. I really don't know where Welcome to Country even merged from. I know that I don't think it was a, obviously an Aboriginal initiative. I think obviously governments had uh, introduced that as they were pacifying our flag of resistance. You know, the idealism that lies behind that obviously is so that white people can feel a sense that they're more guests and they've got a right of ownership and to be here. If we're going to continuously welcome them to country, what that does, it rectitudes the fact of the moral racism issues in which they perpetrate against our people. Because how can we be talking about all these other issues and then compromise a hypocrisy in our own selves to welcome these murderers and these uh, slave traders and this barbaric sense of what they've done to occupy Australia on one hand and, and welcome them on the other? You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR.
Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program, I hope, and here is Kim to read us shocking overfunding of private schools at expense of public schools must stop. Over to you, Kim. Thanks, Jean. Uh, so, Jane Carroll writes, the shocking but unsurprising revelation that 130 private schools were overfunded by a total of $120 million should shake up federal and state education ministers to unwind past mistakes in how taxpayers' money is distributed to schools, says Jane Caro, Senate candidate for the Reason Australia Party. The debacle that is driving inequality in our school system and our society must be addressed. It's one of the main reasons I am standing in this election to give public education and people who can't afford private schooling a voice, said Jane Caro. The reason school achievement continues to decline, says author and former school principal Chris Bonner AM, is that we've created a system that puts the most advantaged kids together in advantaged schools and leaves the strugglers largely in a class of their own. It's the elephant in the room that we lumber around and the avoidance has reached diabolical proportions. Every new federal or state education minister will do anything rather than address that central problem. And, but until we address that central problem, we're in strife. Chris Bonner was speaking with Jane Carra in her Reasonings webinar. He said that instead of solving the inequality in our education system, the implementation of the Gonski reforms entrenched disadvantage. We thought that the kids who were funded the least and who had the greatest needs would be properly funded, and that would, that would create an incentive for schools to enrol more of the strugglers. But that didn't happen because the funding was hijacked by the stipulation enforced on Julia Gillard that no schools would lose a dollar. No other country in the world takes public money to subsidise wealthy schools to the extent Australia does, said Caro. We're using the school system to drive segregation and entrench disparity and inequality by putting the most money in total behind the children who need the least and the least money in total behind the kids who need the most resources. Most shocking revelations in the Teachers' Federation report, 36 private schools received between $1 million and nearly $7 million in extra funding, 43 schools, including some charging fees of more than $35,000 a year, were given between $250,000 and $1 million extra a year, public schools missing out on $1,633 per student every year, while private schools are overfunded by $647 per student, the entire public school system sits more than 10% below its minimum SRS funding levels since the adoption of the Gonski needs-based funding model in 2013. This is an outrageous misuse of taxpayers' money and deprives a generation of children of their educational potential just because of their circumstances and where they live, and it has to stop, said Jane Caro. Yes, so we had that webinar, we had that last week, and we hope that you enjoyed last week. And thank you very much, Kim. And all power to Jane Carroll up there in New South Wales. Let's hope that the Reason Party down here in Victoria, because there is such a party in the state government uh, representative, um, there's a state government representative of the, the Reason Party down here. Let's hope that one of them also sits for the the uh, Senate and takes a strong stand for public schools. But um, we'll have a bit of a break and uh, we'll find out about what's happening with TAFE. There's kind of a lot of 
a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very, very sort of different forms and very, you know, important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative, heteronormative family life, but how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity. You know, it's around the family life in the suburb, as opposed to many, you know, single individuals who have shared queer family, both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. For an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription, you can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You're still listening to the Dogs Program, I hope, and uh, we're now going to talk about what's happened to TAFE. Mr Morrison's making a big deal about how nice he's been to tradies, which is great, providing that we've got enough tradies, and I'm not sure that we have. There is a dearth of tradies in Australia at the moment, as anybody who's trying to get renovations will tell you, or anybody who even wants to uh, build a house. There's a dearth of both tradies and materials for one reason or another. But um, I'm not sure that we're going to produce too many tradies because Mr Morrison and the, the rationalists, the economic rationalists, have mucked up the system well and truly. But uh, Dale's going to tell you about that. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, I've got an article by Pat Forward, who is a former Federal TAFE Secretary for the AEU. And uh, they say, no contest, the decade they killed TAFE. Although a new agreement has not been finalised, all governments, all Australian governments indicated support for a quote, viable and robust system of public, private and not-for-profit providers with contestability in VET, vocational education and training markets, to ensure high-quality training and student choice, end quote, in a 2020 Heads of Government Agreement. Guff, guff, guff. (laughs) Yeah, because... Having it privatised is much better than having a public institution, apparently. 
But uh, yeah, so in April uh, in 2012, all states and territories and the federal government signed the National Agreement for Skills and Workers Workforce Development and the National Partnership Agreement for Skills Reform. The agreements were supposed to deliver almost $9 billion in federal funding to the VET sector over the following five years. The word TAFE was not mentioned once in the 2012 National Agreements, but these agreements changed the TAFE system forever. States and territories agreed to the introduction of a national training entitlement for the first qualification up to a certificate three to be accessible at any registered training organisation. This effectively removed funding from TAFE and attached the funding to individual students who could then expend vouchers at a public or private provider of their choice. Private providers were incentivised to cherry pick cheap and easy to deliver training. Availability of income contingent loans increased via the VET fee help scheme, a bipartisan project aimed at shifting the costs of vocational education from governments onto individuals and to encourage the development of a competitive market. Perceived as a mechanism to break TAFE's monopoly on vocational education, competition for students and the funding attached to them became an overarching condition. What followed was a wholesale shift in delivery from TAFE to private for-profit providers who rapidly moved into the market offering incentives such as laptops and cash to students in return for enrolments. Students' hopes and dreams were destroyed. TAFE teachers lost their jobs and communities lost their TAFE colleges. The VET fee help scheme grew exponentially due to the weakening of conditions of access in the 2012 national agreements from a $25 million allocation in 2009 to more than $4 billion in 2015. More than 75% of the funding for VET fee help went to private for-profit providers. There was no fee regulation in vocational education. Providers could charge whatever they wanted and the only limit students had on what they, they could be charged and therefore have, have to borrow was the $100,000 individual cap. In plenty of instances, no training was delivered and no qualifications were issued. In many cases, it took years for these debts to be cancelled. As a reluctant federal government refused to take responsibility for the fraud. The resulting punitive and damaging cuts to TAFE undermined the capacity of TAFE colleges to successfully compete for funding and resources in the increasingly deregulated market. Many states, in many states, funding cuts to TAFE preceded the implementation of the 2012 National Agreement reforms, further weakening and diminishing the capacity of the public system. State government budget cuts to TAFE in Victoria were quickly followed by budget cuts to TAFE in New South Wales, South Australia and Queensland as these states moved to position their own TAFE institutions to meet the conditions of the newly signed 2012 National Agreements. Following the lead of Victoria, these jurisdictions actively incentivised the private VET sector at the expense of the public TAFE system. The impact of the 2012 National Agreements continues to be felt to this day. The proportion of funding allocated contestably was close to 
in 2020, despite policies such as free safe places in restricted areas of so-called skills shortage. This is because the mechanisms for allocating funding have changed so dramatically, despite the fact that under some state governments, the funding currently favours TAFE. There is nothing in the current arrangements to give TAFE colleges any certainty over future resourcing. And in many states, funding continues to be cut. This is a terrible and a very sad story. Uh, I think that Maddie, and I'm not sure about Kim, um, have, uh, have had some experience with these fly-by-night uh, people. Uh, the uh, private providers would set up uh, with a, a very nice looking office uh, and really what they were about were offering people the possibility of uh, visas and um, uh, citizenship in the long term. But um, they were fraudulent, a lot of them. And what is interesting is if they got JobKeeper in the last few months, so many of them have in fact recently gone bankrupt or just gone out of business in the COVID. So um, uh, the market and education don't necessarily get on at all and the people who suffer most grievously are the students and the society as a whole. And I've had experience with these dodgy providers myself and, and just to show you how they go after the most vulnerable people in society. This was at a stage when I was um, third experiencing third-tier homelessness. I was in a rooming house, so there was no certainty, certainly no safety. Uh, and another fellow who was in the rooming house had been groomed by one of these providers to, it was almost like a pyramid scheme to get as many people to sign up to this course. And they never actually made it quite clear what the course was for. But the incentive was, oh, you'll get this uh, tablet, you know, an electronic tablet to use for the 12 months that you do this course, but you've got to sign up now, you know. And the thing was, they were using this poor guy who was in a rooming house, which is next to homeless, uh, to try and get him to sign up as many people for the temporary use of an electronic tablet for the 12 months of the so-called course on top of having to pay them for uh, doing whatever the course was for. It, it never made any sense to me. They never made clear what the course was actually for. They just laid out these incentives. And it sounded very much like a pyramid scheme. It was shocking. And to be targeting vulnerable people, trying to, to get to get their head above water, targeting vulnerable people like that. It was it was mercenary. It was even it was even worse than that. They were getting they were getting taxpayers' money for every name they signed up. And then that person incurred a debt, a debt for life if necessary, uh, yeah. for whatever was being offered. So um it, it was it's really quite a vicious uh, a vicious scheme indeed. Uh, even what is going on in the secondary and primary sector pales into insignificance with this kind of uh, fraudulent behaviour. But um, we'll have a bit of a break and uh, we'll find out what's happening over there in America with Jeff. Jeff's got something to tell us for this week. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. 
Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent, or if you're a kid, or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever, and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit! Our education is not for profit! You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. We hope you're still listening to the DOGS program. We're here to promote and to defend public education. And uh, we're going over to the United States now, to Ohio, I believe it is, uh, over there in, uh, in America and also in Australia. The people who want complete funding of private education come up with the idea of the voucher system, that parents should have absolute choice of where they take their children to school with a voucher from the government. But um, over there in Ohio, some other people have got doubts about this. Over to you, Jeff. Thanks, Jean. Uh, Today we've got an article from Diana Ravitch again. This is uh, from our wonderful uh, uh, American uh, educational historian, uh, Diana Ravitch, and this is from March 28th, and it's called Vouchers Hurt Ohio. More than 100 school districts in Ohio have joined a lawsuit against the state of Ohio opposing vouchers. Vouchers, just so you know, um, are the American system where, uh, you know, uh, people get a certain amount of money to spend in a particular 
and they, area and they can take it to whatever school they desire. So it's, it's about promoting private schools in America. It goes on, Bill Phyllis, former Deputy Superintendent of the Ohio Department of Education, now leads a pro-public school advocacy group called the Ohio Coalition of Equity and Adequacy. He and a new group called Vouchers Hurt Ohio have organised a campaign to have the voucher program declared unconstitutional. Bill Phyllis posted this description of the lawsuit when it was filed in court in Ohio in early January. Columbus, a collection of public school districts filed a lawsuit today in Franklin County Common Pleas Court challenging constitutionality of the rapidly growing private school voucher program that is siphoning away hundreds of millions of dollars from public school students, teachers, classrooms and communities. Former Ohio Supreme Court Chief Justice and current Columbus City Schools board member Eric Brown said the lawsuit asks the judicial system a simple but critical question. Where does the Ohio General Assembly get the power to fund private school vouchers? That power is nowhere to be found in the Ohio Constitution. In fact, the Ohio Constitution forbids it. Lawmakers have the authority and responsibility to fund a system of common schools with common standards and resources for all of Ohio's taxpayers, parents and students, Brown said at a press conference today outlining the lawsuit. Funding schools that aren't for everybody is not the business of the Ohio General Assembly, and it is not the responsibility of Ohio taxpayers to pay for these private schools, Brown said. The Ohio General Assembly either knows that they are violating the Ohio Constitution and doesn't care, or the members who support the expanding private school voucher system need a history lesson themselves. William L. Phyllis, Executive Director for the Coalition of Equity and Adequacy of School Funding, was instrumental in leading a successful court challenge to the way Ohio pays for its public schools during the 90s. The DeRoff School funding lawsuit was the case of the 20th century. The Ed Choice private school voucher lawsuit we filed today is destined to be the case of the 21st century, Phyllis said. In fact, the private school voucher system is siphoning off hundreds of millions of dollars from an already underfunded system of public schools. The legislature and the governor are putting our state and our public school children at risk, and they admit it. Nika Jackson, a school board member with the Richmond Heights School District in Cuyahoga County, said private schools vouchers are making school segregation in Ohio worse, not better. If someone tells you this is about helping poor minority children, hook them up to a lie detector test, ASAP, and stand back because the sparks are going to fly, Jackson said. About 40% of Richmond Heights residents are white. Before the Ed Choice Private School Voucher Program, about 26% of the students in the Richmond Heights School District were white and 74% were students of colour. Today, after Ed Choice, Richmond Heights is 3% white and 97% students of colour, Jackson said. Private schools are allowed to discriminate, plain and simple, based on disability, disciplinary records, academic standings, religion and financial status. These are often proxies for race and other protected characteristics. Ohio is essentially engaged in state-sponsored discrimination in admissions and retention. You know who can't do this? Public schools, common schools, Jackson said. Dan Heights, a school board member in the Cleveland Heights University Heights School District, said his district lost more than 27 million to private school vouchers. And this forced voters to pass two levies to raise property taxes. 
Heinz said 95% of our EdChoice voucher users have never been enrolled in one of our schools. So contrary to the narrative, these families aren't fleeing a failing school. The only thing they're fleeing is a tuition bill, a private school tuition bill that is now being paid by Ohio taxpayers, Heinz said. Eric Resnick, a school board member for Canton City Schools in Stark County, said high school students receive a $7,500 voucher, while public school students receive far less from the state in basic education funding. There is no truth to the claim by voucher proponents that the money follows the student, Resnick said. To those who say the money should follow the student, I ask, why the discrepancy? Why should voucher students get $7,500 and some public school students get one-fifth or less than that amount. If the money was truly following the student, then each public school student would also receive $7,500. The ENA Coalition is working with Vouchers Hurt Ohio uh, to sue the state over the unconstitutional and harmful private school vouchers program. Vouchers Hurt Ohio's nearly 100 member school districts in 47 of Ohio's 88 counties that opened their doors wide and welcoming to more than a quarter of a million public school students. And that's it for that one. Back to you, Jean. Well, we'll come back to Australia. And it's time for our good news story, our great state school. And Maddie's ready for you. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools. School are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And our great state school for this week is Bendigo Southeast College. Congratulations, Bendigo Southeast College. Um, this school was referred to in a book called Waiting for Gonski, which Jean read last week and has been inspired to write about Bendigo Southeast College. I'm going to throw some facts and figures at you first, and then I'm going to read something from their website. Uh, in 2011, Gonski visited it and compared it to the Catherine Macaulay College. In 2013, Macaulay College received around $1,000 more per student in combined state and federal government funding. By 2017, the Catholic school had expanded its advantage in total taxpayer funding to $2,000 per student. In 2019, the total per student funding for Girton Grammar in Bendigo was $23,700 per student, while that for Bendigo Southeast College was $10,000 less. Macaulay College in 2019 was $17,000 per student, which is $3,500 more than the public school. Bendigo Southeast and Bendigo's Marist College enroll similar students but government alone, the government alone funds each student at the Catholic school almost $2,500 more. When fees are added, those students are almost $5,500 ahead. Eagle Hawk Secondary College, 
which um, whose ICSIA is 929, which is well below average, enrolls the city's lowest SES students, but it is totally funded at levels below most local private schools. But let's look at the sterling job that they are doing. This is from their website. Our vision is that every student develops the knowledge, skills and attributes needed to positively contribute to our community as a responsible and caring citizen. We encourage students to strive for excellence, to achieve more than is required or expected academically, vocationally, socially and personally. Our values are shown through year level themes, which are respect, teamwork, integrity and resilience. We are committed to embedding our values as habits so that they become observable attributes. Readiness, resourcefulness, resilience, reflectiveness, and reciprocity. Bendigo Southeast College is committed to the principles of a, of a liberal democracy. We believe in an accountable, democratically elected government. We respect and observe the rule of law and believe that no person is above the law. We believe in equal rights for all before the law, regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, sexuality, gender, or other attributes. We believe not only in freedom of religion, but also the need to practice tolerance and understanding of others' beliefs. We believe in the value of freedom of speech and freedom of association, but also acknowledge that we have the responsibility not to abuse that freedom. We believe in the values of openness and tolerance and value and respect all members of the school community, regardless of background. BSE offers a specialist music program to students who want to develop their musical skills. The music program is committed to delivering a student-centered, highly engaging environment in which students can develop their ability to play and appreciate music. We are so proud of the high standard our students display in performance and the fun they have achieving this with flow on benefits such as improved organization, self-discipline, friendships, enhanced academic performance. Each year, a high percentage of our top academic award winners are students who are enrolled in the music program. This, this school is doing such an incredible job and I really appreciate the principles of their liberal democracy they outlined um I just they they put it out so clearly and so succinctly and I just yeah praise high praise for Bendigo Southeast College congratulations Bendigo Southeast College you are our state school of the week thank you Maddie and if uh, if our listeners would like to go to their website there's a delightful um young man who will take you uh, through the school's music program and show you all the wonderful things that he has enjoyed in the music program at that school. It's a, it's a really lovely, um, lovely journey to go on. This school uh, was um, the result of uh, an amalgamation of a number of schools in Bendigo in 2009. And um, the children attending it uh, were more disadvantaged certainly than those of Girton College and Macaulay College but um, I think that it has a lovely feel to it and uh, do go and have a look at their website. 
It's really quite a delightful place. Yeah, if you'd like to uh, take that tour of the music program, you can go to www.bse.vic.edu.au forward slash music hyphen program and you'll go on that lovely tour. But um, that's all that we have to offer for this week. Uh, we'll be back with you at the same time next week. And thank you to Dale and Kim and Maddie who rocked up today uh, to present this program and also, of course, Jeff. But uh, we'll all be back next week with Bells On to give you some more information about public education in this wonderful country of ours. But for the moment, it's bye for now. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.